guys, and welcome back to another episode on For Generations to Come, where I'm your host, Malisha Gray, of course, and here we break generational curses by empowering others and sharing our stories. All right. Hey, Nicole. Hi, Malisha. I already asked you how you're doing, but just for everyone else, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. So before we hop right into everything that you have going on, I just want you to introduce yourself to everyone, let everybody know who you are, what you do, whatever you want us to know. 100%. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole. I'm a 19-year-old student at Princeton, uh, and I recently published my first book entitled The Unboxing, A Black Girl's Journey of Mental Health, Faith, and Identity, and I'm just a teenage girl that's really passionate about inspiring other young girls to live lives lives of self-compassion, self-confidence, and wholeness. Okay, so we're just going to hop right into it because I have a lot of questions, especially about your book. <laughs> so the first question definitely is, your book is all about mental health, faith, and identity, Let's talk about what led to the existence of your book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so it all started for me um, after high school. When I was accepted to Princeton, I got the opportunity to go on a gap year program with the school and uh, on um, a a nine-month service program. So I lived in Senegal, Africa with six other uh, students and two Princeton instructors. Uh, and it was during that time that I really started building my relationship with the Lord. Um, and during that time that I kind of became aware of my own brokenness and some of the things that I realized that um, I hadn't given to God. Uh, and so during kind of my uh, self-reflection, introspection that I was going through and as I was building my walk walk with God that kind of led me to start writing about some of my struggles and then ultimately putting it together uh, and, and, and writing and then finding a way to publish um, all of my writings. So what, what was your battle with mental health? Let's mm-hmm. go a little deeper. Yeah. Um, so my struggle was really with depression and anxiety. Uh, later would be PTSD. Um, but in, in, um, in middle school, when I was 12 years old, I had attempted suicide, uh, but I forgot that I attempted suicide up until I went on that gap year program. And so I, for me, the, the gap year was about remembering kind of the emptiness and brokenness that I, that I felt when I was really young, that I kind of normalized, especially in high school. I just found ways of coping with that pain and that emptiness that I felt Um, my coping mechanisms was uh, pornography, masturbation, addiction, uh, and, and food was, was a huge one for me. Uh, and so really not just being so obsessed with kind of the symptoms of the emptiness that I felt, but really getting to the core and the roots of my depression and anxiety. So uh, one thing that you just said definitely stuck out to me. You said you mm. normalized it. So yeah, my question is because a lot of times we don't notice that we do um, we get so comfortable with a lot of things that it's mm. normal. It's not right, but it's become normal to us. So why, mm. I mean, I mean, we can't speak for everybody else. So why did you normalize what was deemed as pain, really? I think I got caught up, I think, in what I thought I had to do to be successful. Um, for my parents, they came from um, more underprivileged backgrounds. Uh, and so uh, my parents, you know, they, their their parents didn't go to college. And so, you know, they were the first in their families to go to college. And so in continuing that legacy of just trying to strive for greater for their own children, 
um, we were really just pushed to perform well academically. And so I kind of, a lot, I think I internalized a lot of messages of I need to perform well. And I, no, it doesn't matter what the cost, like I just need to reach this goal and I have to meet this standard no matter what. And as I was, you know, striving to do well in school, it was at the detriment of my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health. Um, but I just kind of counted those as the cost, if you will, to, um, to reaching that success. So um, you kind of said something that's kind of similar to what I grew up with. Um, my mm-hmm. father did come from um, an underprivileged background and family. Mm-hmm. So when he came up, um, he broke the cycle, which is thank goodness. And he built yeah. businesses, but that also put pressure on me. And mm. so my question for you, because I know for me, um, the pressure was verbalized. It mm. was, um, he actually told me all these things that was expected from me. And I felt like I had to, you know, live up to this standard, but yes. for you, did did you just receive an expectation that way without them verbalizing it to you? Uh, I think it was a both and. I think uh, I think there were a lot of experiences that kind of, there was just like kind of this like, you know, like underlying message of you need to do well. Um, my dad shared with me at some point um, that he actually would drive us to the projects when I was younger. And he would tell us like, this is where you'll end up if you don't do well in school. Like, so for me, and I don't remember those moments, but I remember the fear that I felt of, uh, I I remember feeling a very, a weight of, you know, not performing well academically. So I don't necessarily remember, I think some of the more explicit times, but I do remember like that fear um, that if I don't perform well, like there are like real world consequences for that. So do you still deal with that now or how did you deal with that? I think now the, the, the biggest thing for me during the gap year um, being uh, coming into an understanding on a heart level of, of who I am in Christ um, and in God's love that like, I'm not what I do, but I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm defined by God's love. I think that has really transformed my relationship with my academics um, for like why I want to study, uh, why I want to do well. Uh, I think in high school, it really was a fear of failure, a uh, fear of, you know, not, not ending up you know, in a, in a secure place in life. Um, and now I, I feel confident in saying that, you know, I'm here because I actually have desires and dreams and ambitions uh, for myself to, to do well and to help others. Um, yeah, and to, and to extend, I guess, what I've been given to others. Um, so I think I interact with my work now from a place of love. So even for me being 22 right now, I guess I can say fully grown because the bills are fully grown. (laughs) In my own place, with my own family, (laughs) um, even married and all of that, you still realize that you deal with a whole bunch of things that you didn't cope with or some things that we didn't even know that we dealt with until you do grow up and you realize Mm -hmm. it. So it's like for me, um, it's a lot of things that came from my parents that came up now that I had to unlearn and Mm -hmm. it's not that what they did was bad because in our reality they just want the best for us but it created a whole sense of me doing the same thing to my husband me doing the same thing to my children and even though my son's only like one and a half I'm like hopefully I don't want him to feel all of that pressure when he gets older so I had to unlearn that so I want to know did that create a sense of like rebellion a little bit against your parents? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, think, 
I, my dad and I, we fought a lot growing up. Um, I think like any, any young person does um, and, and it may manifest itself in different ways. Um, but I think once I left the house and I was away, I definitely, as I started to, I think, realize uh, some of the limitations to the way that my dad raised me to think. Uh, yeah, like what you were saying, it's not that they, you know, were bad things, you know, because he intended, you know, for me to be successful. He wanted good for me. Um, but when I started realizing some of the ways in which some of the things he taught me were, were doing more harm than good in my life, I, mm -hmm. I definitely go through a season of feeling very resentful and feeling very angry. And then um, I think I, I really I, I went through a season of blaming, blaming my parents for why I was where I was. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think and so I guess. It wasn't for me. I never I think because I was always I lived in a, a lot of fear of failure. I never really outwardly rebelled in like terms of like, you know, I just like stopped caring about academics. Uh, I do think, though, my form of rebellion was just kind of distancing myself, like not really sharing with my parents anymore. Just kind of like I'm doing my own thing. Like, don't try and give me advice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I even wrestle with now um, as I grow and kind of develop and, and, you know, learn what I want for myself and, and the rules that I want to live by. Um, you know, as I grow in my walk with God, um, that's something that I, I wrestle with still. Yeah, that's kind of, it, it really does go hand in hand with me because right now I, um, I'm very cautious about going to my dad because my mom passed away. So it's mostly like my dad about mm -hmm. certain things, not because I don't trust his advice. I love him. I, he's very wise as a person, but it yeah. comes to me not only wanting to make my own decisions, mm -hmm. but not having the weight of his expectation on me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty difficult that we we didn't really notice how much our parents do have a really huge effect on yeah. us. So yeah. I don't want all that pressure. So I just I just try to <laughs> so much to just let it go. So yeah. let's let's jump into um faith and how all of that really tied into your story was it something that you had to gain over time or did you have it throughout your whole entire story uh so I was saved when I was eight years old it was like a very vivid moment for me I just remember just weeping and walking up to the altar and just knowing that I needed Jesus not really understanding why I needed Jesus but knowing that I needed him and accepting him at that moment uh and a year later, my dad actually, he, he, he changed, changed careers. He was an investment banker and he became a pastor. Uh, and he moved me and my three other siblings and our two dogs to Cape Town, South Africa, where my parents did missions uh, work there for a year and a half. Uh, and then after that, we moved to New Jersey where my dad pastors now. Um, so I definitely, I was raised in church. And then when my dad became a pastor, I was a pastor's kid. So I was, you know, <laughs> very much more involved in church. Um, and learned, you know, how to do church. Um, and so I was definitely, I think God, he, I, I knew of him and I knew that he was real. I don't think I ever questioned that God was real, but in terms of understanding how to live for God, mm -hmm. um, how to give things to God, I, I don't think I learned that until I went away on the gap year. Um, because I honestly thought that, and I, I would never say this out loud because you would never say that in church, but I, I didn't really think that I needed God because I felt like, okay, like my academics were in, you know, a good place. And as long as I performed well, like I could kind of, you know, do life for myself. And that, that wasn't something mm -hmm. I articulated, but it was definitely, you know, how I lived. Um, and I knew that the pornography addiction, I, I didn't, I didn't acknowledge it as an addiction then, but I, I, you know, I knew that it was a bad thing, but I also kind of 
and I, I would feel guilty for it, but I didn't know really like how to be free from it or also like how to give that to God. Um, so I would say like, yeah, like I knew that God was there. I knew that he had power, but didn't know how to access any of that. And then it wasn't until the gap year. And then I really started seeking him out of my own brokenness that, um, I started to learn like how to, um, access God's presence, access his power and access his healing. So we're just going to skip back a little bit. Cause it just made me think yeah. about this one. So did, um, before you decided to publish your book, did you mm-hmm. share your story with your parents? <laughs> so um <laughs> it was you know a roller coaster uh i i had written the whole manuscript of the book and it was a very uh i'll say an unfiltered edition <laughs> it was just kind of just like all the traumatic experiences in one document and then i kind of sent it to them um without really any preliminary like notice um and my dad he didn't know that i had attempted suicide when i was 12 my mom knew but um and we didn't really talk we didn't we never talked about it but like she knew that it had happened but my dad never knew so for him it was really really painful to read because he didn't know about a lot of the stuff that had happened um and the same with my mom like she knew about the suicide attempt but she didn't know about a lot of the other inner turmoil that I was experiencing because I never expressed it to them uh verbally um so they knew but yeah so 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 they, they would grow to know and then we, I think as a result of that, we've, we've gone on, you know, uh, our own journeys of like healing together from, um, from this. So were you nervous to press send? Uh, <laughs> was I nervous to press send? Yes, I was. But <laughs> oh, I, I think because even the writing of the book, it was very much, um, you know, I, th- I was walking with God through it because um, I, I remember like, I, I just, I remember I was, you know, in Senegal and I just felt this burning, like I just felt this, 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 this press from God to, to write, to write, like every sermon I watched, I just, and every time I read the Bible, I just kept hearing him say, write the book, write the book. Um, and so I remember just every time I would sit down to write, it was like, it was just, I just felt the spirit of God just moving through me, even as I was writing and, you know, developing the courage to share. So I was nervous, but I also kind of knew like this was the next step, I guess, in my walk with God. Um, to this day, I'm still hoping my dad doesn't listen to my podcast. <laughs> I mean, some things it's like he he probably didn't know that, but I don't know. Even as even now that I'm older, it's still some things that it's like, man, I'm kind of nervous. And for me, it's yeah. not so much um letting them know how I feel because I'm really good at that now. It's mm. so it's so much of I don't want my parents to think they were bad parents mm, and yeah, they weren't. I didn't. I mean, I'm a type, I'm the type that I like to be very honest. I feel like if you hurt me in a certain way, then, you know, the truth is you just hurt me. Yeah. But if I say that I perceive something a certain way, just like you, you know, we both have in common as far as being feeling pressured to be successful, then that's mm. just how I perceived it. And every time I mentioned to my dad, he's like, well, I was just a bad parent then. And I'm like, mm. no, it doesn't mean yeah. that you were a bad parent. <laughs> yeah. So I try to like hold I'm, off yeah. on certain things. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if you talk to my dad, like he definitely, he definitely, like we've had conversations where he's just kind of like, yeah, Nicole, like I, I feel like I've, I've failed you in so many ways. Yeah, he's like, oh, I was yeah. just the worst parent ever. You know, I didn't yeah. do my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, definitely been, I think, painful for my dad. And I think, 
as I grow and as he grows and as we grow together, I think we're learning how to have harder conversations, like learning how to talk to each other about how we feel in a healthy way and to give that to God. And there's definitely a process, that, a, a journey that has so many ups and downs. And I'm only 19, so I know it'll just keep going. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever end. But, but yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's really comforting because... Mm-hmm relationships it doesn't matter if it's a friend your mom dad sister um you have to have those hard conversations even if you don't want to because you can be try to or try to be the best parent in the world but it will always be something that your child perceives differently that they really didn't like yeah so i mean i mean that's even for me as being a mom i literally just have to stop trying to be the best parent and realize that I can only do mm. the best that I can. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they perceive it a certain way, I want them to be comfortable enough to talk to yeah. me about it. So, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Another thing that was really painful for my dad, I think, because, you know, he was conscious of the generational curses and, you know, even, you know, before I was born, like he, he and my mom, they really were trying to work to prevent a lot of the stuff that they experience and the generational curses that they know that they got to keep it from getting to me and my siblings and I think what was really painful for my dad is to see you know me coming into adulthood that so much of the stuff he tried to keep from me um he he wasn't able to and there was a lot that he did keep me from and protected me from um but but to see that there was just so much more that still got me I think that was really painful um because I think you know it was his hope you know to shield me you know from all the you know the pain yeah Um, get to go through yeah i think that when we look at it in a different perspective then we we have a lot more grace Mm. because just like you said he may have felt pressured to protect you just like you felt pressured to be successful yeah so i mean he came from a different way and he thought that that was the best way Mm -hmm. to yeah so i mean yeah once yeah yeah. once we start looking (laughs) at it differently i'm Mm. like man you know they really did try their best and they deserve every type of grace and mercy. I know mine's dealing with me. I think mine deserves it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's just hop right into, um, first of all, you're 19. I caught that because I thought you were (laughs) at least about 20. (laughs) And when I first got saved, um, I'm a PK as well. So I grew up okay. literally in the church. Yeah. And but I didn't build my own relationship with God. It was just like you, sim- very similar. I didn't build my own relationship until I was, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know how I can forget, 18. Mm. And I think it was 17. Or maybe 18. It's one of them, yeah. okay? <laughs> but the whole point is I grew up around church, grew up around God, of course, and I thought the whole point of being saved and going to heaven was just to know God and hey, that's it. Yeah. Um, so for me being very young and I was um, doing college at the time and being surrounded by friends who weren't mm. so saved, um, <laughs> it, it was difficult uh, yeah. trying to be the standout, especially when you are new in Christ. You know, it's it's very difficult. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that because as soon as they decide, oh, I'm getting saved. And the next day they realize that they're the ones that really have to be the change in the circle. So let's talk about how do you stay true to your faith and identity in Christ as being a college student? 
I've been, I was actually very nervous to come here because I thought like I wouldn't be able to find Christian community, but I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that there are like so many, like very, like multiple Christian groups on this campus that I've actually had the privilege of being able to choose from. Um, So I've been actually, I have been able to like find faith communities and, and have a support in that. And I have two particular mentors here who um, one is in her 30s at the seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary, and the other one is her, uh, in, in her 50s, and, and she's a pastor of a church. Uh, and to have them, to be here and to have them just pour into me has been a really phenomenal experience. So what would you say to um, a college student or anyone really who is yeah. 18, 19, that um, they want to be saved or they may have mm-hmm. gotten saved, but mm-hmm. it's the whole... Uh, what's the word society of you have to live your life at this age and you should be doing this at this what would you say to those people who feel pressured in this society yeah uh there's so many things um I think I don't I one of the things that really strikes me uh in my in my you know year year going on two years of being in university like in the short time I think thinking long term um, that the seeds that I plant today and tomorrow, um, you know, some small and some great will manifest themselves, not just, in, you know, next month or next year, but in the next five years, in the next 10 years. And that the habits that I'm building today are what, gonna, what are, what are going to sustain me ultimately as I grow into an adult. And I think for me, I've really, my perspective on university is kind of like this training ground to figure out who I want to be and what I want to live for. Um, And so for me, like living my best life at university is finding Christian community, abiding in God, learning about the things of God and and, and preparing myself for the real world. Um, Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is this remember, like to have perspective. And this is the one thing I think I've learned from my dad, even in high school, because so many students in high school think like, oh, like these are the, you know, the great years. we got to have fun. And like my dad always taught us, like, no, high school is to prepare you to get to a certain college. So take high school seriously. And my dad would always equate mm-hmm. um, grades to like a monetary value because there are scholarships. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and so and so kind of like the same thing now for me, like being at Princeton, um, you know, where there are all these different resources and all these things for me, it's like, OK, um, preparing myself for like the next level of life. And so for me, it's really about prioritizing my faith then, because I know that's what's going to set me up to be successful in life. Well, what about um, anything for those who uh, feel their temporary voids or mm. feel their voids with temporary yeah. things such as drinking, partying, mm. um, things like that, that people really have a whole, like literally, when you think about college, that's the, that's, <laughs> I mean, literally, that's the whole picture that you imagine like, oh, I'm going yeah. to a party every weekend and yeah. I'm barely making it to class the next day. Yeah. I mean, that's literally the whole picture that you have yeah. when you think of college. So what, what would you say um, to add on to that? I would say surround yourself with, find somebody that doesn't, like, that thinks bigger than that. Like, I, I think what's been big, like the biggest thing for me in terms of shifting my perspective is surrounding myself with people who think differently and that think that have a wider um, like, I love hanging out with older people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm best friends with the people in the dining hall because they have insane amount of wisdom. Like, anybody who is older than me, I know, has wisdom. And so 
I don't know. I would just like encourage someone to just find to find. Actually, no. One of the girls from my church actually messaged me last week because she was actually struggling with this very thing because she she wanted to study but she felt all this pressure to party, and I was just like, you you have to make the decision that feels true to you and that like you'll be at peace with. And I guess it, it depends on like why you're feeling the pull to because mm-hmm. I think there are different reasons why we feel pulled to to do like to go out to go party like because there's a social pressure. Um, but they're also maybe like, maybe you just don't know how to ne- have enough fun and you don't know how to have fun. And like, that seems to be like the only outlet. Um, so I think like re- also identifying like why you want to do that thing in the first place and then kind of unpacking that. Mm. I think it also plays a big part, like you said as well, as making sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are thinking bigger than you. That is yeah. very true. Um, you have to... Because it's pointless. If honestly, in my opinion, if you feel that, and it all, it really all boils down to being honest with yourself. Mm. You have to be honest and say, "Am I strong enough to influence the circle that I'm in, or be influenced by the circle that I'm mm. in?" Yeah. And if you know that you're not strong enough to influence them, you may need to step back until. <laughs> You can. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because they're going to, yeah. either way it go, you're going to be at a party every weekend. And the whole temporary void things to fill the temper, to fill your void up is just constant every weekend, constant. And it's just like yeah. a continued cycle. So the last question that I have for you, just to tie it all together, is how do you show empowerment daily to bring encouragement to other women? who Mm -hmm. has experienced the same thing as you or currently experiencing it? Uh, Okay. So I like, I have, and I'm working on developing more online resources and material. And that's um, in terms of like daily things, like an online platform of of giving to people. But in terms of like my life here at Princeton, um, I, if this school is very, very fast paced, as I'm sure like every college student feels like there's always something to do and there's always something we have to do. Um, one of the things that I'm just learning to do is slow down and listen to the leadings of the spirit. Um, there are so many people that feel so empty on this campus mm-hmm. and it is so easy to be caught up in my own kind of like to-do list mm-hmm. that I'm not connected to the needs of those around me. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm, I've been trying to do, especially this semester is just like, you know, ask the Holy spirit. Okay. Like, who do you want me to encourage today? Who can I speak to today? And being led, you know, to either, you know, pray for someone that I see in the library that clearly has not slept or, um, you know, just going to that friend, helping them out with an assignment. Um, really, especially, especially a lot of, a lot of, you know, my other peer, um, women here, um, just talking to them about faith, uh, just having more conversations, like asking those, um, you know, bigger questions um, to get people to think, I think, outside of just this semester and this class um, to remember the bigger picture. All right. So, before we close it on out, do you have anything else that you want to share with us? Do I have anything else I want to share? Um, I think the biggest thing for me that I think that God has been transforming my heart on is just the importance of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's been one thing, you know, to listen to a sermon or, to, you know, to listen to, you know, this great information or, to someone's testimony or, you know, what have you, the information, because there's so much information in, in this day and age, like so much, so much you can learn and so much um, you can do um, to have the self-awareness to kind of identify what do I need and what do I need in this season? Um, 
I just I just felt very passionate about that. Um, and just I'm always sharing that with people, just getting to a place of, of self-awareness and self-introspection to really know um, what like I need as an individual and, and being and working the courage and having the tools to then ask um, for those resources. OK, break down self-awareness in your own mm. definition. Yeah. So I think um, self-awareness uh primarily in, in this context, especially in the context of my book, is an emotional self-awareness. So being aware of kind of like where, yeah, I am emotionally. Um, and I think for me personally, uh, I totally, totally, totally ignored my limits, like my human limits. And mm-hmm. I was all, always overworking myself um, and never really felt like whole. Um, and part of that was like not having an intimate relationship with God. But another part of it was like a lot of practicals of like, I don't sleep. I don't take care of myself. Um, I'm not making sure that I'm in a healthy community of people that are speaking life into me. Um, And just like, just like all these different things um, that are always at play. Um, And so having awareness of my physical and then emotional needs and then spiritual needs as well. Okay. And at the end of the day, I think it all boils down to making that decision to do that. Mm. And that's hard for me. It's hard to, I was listening to this sermon last night about, uh, I think it said five people you can't help. Mm. And it's hard for me to come to grasp with that. Mm. And I believe it's true, but it's hard for me because um, I don't like when people can have help and there is help available mm-hmm. and they can do more, but they won't. Mm. That's very difficult for me to accept, especially mm. when I am in the midst of it. I don't know. That's mm. that's, yeah. that's difficult. <laughs> I think one of the things that God has been teaching me with, with a couple of my friends is just patience and, and um, walking with them through the struggle that they're in. Because, you know, some of the things that they're struggling with are things that I have struggled with. And because God has brought me out, and, and it's been nothing but his grace, but because God has brought me out of it, and because the answer, I guess, has become so clear to me, I kind of just want to throw it to them and be like, okay, what you do, this is step A, B, and C. Um, yeah, I'm like, but, here's the whole yeah. list. Get started. <laughs> and so one of the things that God is really uh, transferring my heart right now in this season is is recognizing that there's like an emotional component to the healing. And like um, me and my mentor and I were actually talking about this yesterday because, you know, if, if you know, if God through showed all showed us all of like what we needed to work on and what we would end up working on in our lifetime, we would probably shut down and just think, I can never do that. Like, yeah. I'll never be healed. Like, you know, and so I think like the recognizing that as much as we want to change and grow or don't um, that there um, I think there's grace. There's grace to to be in a space where, okay, like, I'm not ready to, to grow in this area. And then, you know, I am. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's hard for me to see. And, but you know what? It is still an area that I am working on because I have to not only, like you said, self-aware, look at myself and see that it took me an amount of time to get to where I am, too. And even though somebody else may be taking longer, it's not my job to be Judge Judy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a work in progress to, um, it, I have to come to understanding that everyone does not think like me. 
you know, everyone doesn't do as I do and just continue to uh, throw holy water on them every time. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) All right. So is there anything um, else that you want to add in before you let everyone know where they can find you at your social medias and Mm -hmm. about your book? No, I mean, I'm just passionate about unapologetic living and authentic living, meaning that we live just truest to who God has called us to be, um, that each of us are uniquely gifted um, and have a unique set of experiences and that God has a purpose and a plan that only we can live out. Um, And so just to encourage everyone and anyone listening that to just keep doing that work of becoming the best version of ourselves, um, because... um, you know, that's how we get to be good stewards over the life that God has given us. But then that's also how we the best the best way in which we can bless others by becoming the best version of ourselves. All right. Let us know uh, your social media handles. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at unapologetic Nicole. Uh, and then my website is unapologetic And then and then on my website, there's also a link to the book. All right. So, I mean, I'll have all of that in the description if anyone you know, is pausing to catch all of that. So yeah, thank you again, Nicole, so much for getting on. It was nice to know that we really have a lot in common. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about our parents, like, let's really hope they don't listen to this episode. I, I mean, I'll probably put it in my family group chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to put it in mine. <laughs> all right, thank you again for getting on, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye.